The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time with Mary Woods. I'm your guest host, John McAndrew, and today we're going to talk to Bill Dennehy, who has written a book called Rage, the Legend of Baseball, Bill Dennehy. And Bill is a former Major League Baseball player for the New York Mets and uh, considered a top prospect early in his career. In fact, he shared a rookie card with Tom Seaver. Bill injured his arm uh, in the first month of his career and unsuccessfully tried to stay in baseball with the aid of multiple cortisone shots, which exasperated his struggles with anger and addiction and eventually led to his blindness. He later coached the University of Hartford, was a minor league pitching coach for the Red Sox. He was a radio announcer. And Bill is now in long-term recovery and belongs to the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association. I'm going to mention also that uh, Peter Gollenbach helped Bill write this book. And Peter's written uh, eight or nine bestsellers, all with... Well, Billy Martin and Greg Nettles and Sparky Lyle. Uh, you guys have written a tremendous book, Bill, and I think the first thing I want to say is thanks for the courage to lay this all out. Um, you know, much of your baseball career, of course, is public knowledge, but much of the personal stuff you've shared here is not. So, uh, you know, what? welcome to the show, first of all. Well, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Um, my first question is just why, you know, what motivated you, Bill, to to put this all into a book and, and to get a hold of Peter? Because he's obviously behind some of the greatest uh, sports stories and books that have been written. How did you two to get, get together and what motivated you to start this project? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I uh, originally wanted to write this book um, was the fact that uh, I had so many people asking me what happened uh, between, um, you know, my rookie season there and the time I hurt my arm, as you said, uh, a month or so into this season. And I got sick and tired of of answering the question. So I figured if I put it in a book, I could just say, if you just look it up, you know. Um, But seriously, um, you know, I uh, I really really wanted to do was uh, to um, tell my story about how trusting I was. I was only 21 uh, years old when I got my first shot of cortisone. Back then, you know, now they say, well, you have to be... um, uh, very, very smart as to what you put in your body. Back then, if the right. uh, 
doctors said you're going to get a shot of cortisone. You didn't ask them uh, how many, where, where you're going to get it, or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. There was no second opinion. Uh, there was no MRIs. There was no internet and everything. So we just did what they said. Um, I actually um, ran into Peter about 20 years ago. Um, there was a something called the Senior Professional Baseball League that started up here in Florida. And I was an announcer for the team, and he was a PR guy for uh-huh. uh, the team in St. Petersburg. And um, we got to be friends at the time, played a lot of golf together. And I kept saying to him, I've got this, you know, idea about a book and everything. And um, he kind of laughed, and he said, um, yeah, he says, you know, with your name, he says, we'll sell about 10 books, and that's about it. And I said, well. <laughs> I said, I think if you look at the recovery end of it, I said, I think there's more to this book than just the baseball stories. And uh, finally, after 20 years of prodding him and, um, you know, getting to the point of pushing him and calling him up and say, is it time yet? Is it time yet? I think he just gave up and said, okay, well, you know, we'll try it and everything. And after he got into it, um, he got all excited about it, too. And he wrote, I think, a terrific book. Uh huh. You start the book off, uh, and this is a real good visual. It, it, it was for me being this little kid. I think you're six years old, somewhere in there, in the in the dentist chair. And I think a lot of people that listen to our show that are in recovery are going to relate very much to uh, uh, your story. You, it says you had 16 cavities, and and tell tell us what what happened. Well, you know, it's for, after a while, I was saying to myself, uh, gee, I said, I must have had bad parents, but I always was brushing my teeth and doing all the things that take care of my, my teeth. I guess uh, later on, someone said, no, you probably just had soft teeth, and that's why you had so many cavities, that plus eating a pound of sugar every day. Uh-huh. But when I got into the dentist's office, uh, I mean, he told me that he was going to have to, um, you know, drill all these cavities out. You know, obviously, I was not a happy camper, and he said... Uh, well, we got something that's going to be able to take away the pain. And, um, you know, and I said, what's that? He says, oh, we just call it laughing gas. He says, you'll just feel really good. Uh, that laughing gas, as uh, you know, John, and uh, a lot of the uh, listeners out there might know, was uh, nitrous oxide. Yep. And I took it, and I loved it. That should have been the first indication that um, I was just a little bit different. I loved the high. I remember coming home that night. You know, my parents were like aghast at the fact that I had so many uh, uh, cavities. And I'm saying, no, it's okay. It's okay. I was floating on the ceiling. You know, I was up in the clouds. You know, I was traveling around. It was terrific. And I couldn't wait. You know, every time I had to go back to the dentist, and very disappointed if I only had like one or two, and the doctor says, well, I don't think you need that. Oh, I need it, Doc. I need it. You know, I've got to have that nitrous oxide. <laughs> you talk <laughs> You talk about being about, you know, the young altar boy and uh, <laughs> having that wine and the and the Monsignor and doing, you know, doing the math and all that stuff. And uh, I guess you write in here that uh, you never would pour any of it out, would you, Bill? No, well, you know, it was funny because um, uh, a couple of the priests, you know, they would make sure they drank all of the wine. But the Monsignor kind of, you know, he would just have a couple drops and mix it with the wine. And then the rest of the 
the bottle, you know, and it's like you can't pour it back into the wine uh, bottle that they had in the, uh, um, you know, the back part of the church mm-hmm. there and stuff like this. And I didn't want to see it go to waste. And I noticed that the two priests that drank all the wine seemed to have a really good demeanor. You know, they just had a smile <laughs> on their face and everything. And I figured, hey, if it's good enough for a priest, it's got to be good enough for me. So I was starting to take little swigs of that. And, uh uh-huh. Sure enough, you know, I'd go into the first uh, couple of classes and uh, smile on my face, and uh, actually religion was a lot better back then. (laughs) (laughs) Everything was better. Yes, yes. (laughs) I'm going to fast forward and uh, talk about June 15th, 1992, and you tell a story, uh, uh, you tell a story about your daughter, Kristen. And this was a very pivotal point in your recovery, and we'll talk about this, and then we'll go back and start over again. But it was a big day in your life. Uh, you, you had asked your daughter a question, and uh, tell us what you said to her and what happened and what you felt in that conversation. It's June fifteenth, 1992. Yeah, actually it was on the, uh, on the 14th. Uh... Uh, John, um, I was uh, on the end of my vacation, and um, I was up there for two weeks in Connecticut. You know, I live in Orlando, Florida now, and I went up there and, um, you know, got to see my old friends and my parents and watched a couple of, you know, I've got two daughters and watched them play some high school softball games and everything, Mm -hmm. but more or less I was out there in center field, you know, far enough away from the crowd where I could have a... uh, a joint or something or a can of beer and, you know, not have to worry about the smell or, you know, what I was drinking in my hands or anything. And uh, this last day that I was in town there, I asked my daughter, we were having breakfast together, uh, is there something that uh, we could do the next time we get together that we didn't do this time? And she said, yeah, how about playing catch, Dad? Um, and boy, I tell you what, my my heart dropped right down to the floor. You know, here I was an ex major leaguer. I was home for two weeks, and I couldn't spend fifteen minutes of my life to set aside to play catch with my daughter. And right then and there, I decided that I was going to um, um, stop drinking, stop uh, using, mm-hmm. and uh, commit myself to a life of. Um, of uh, cleanliness and uh, sobriety. And um, I came back, uh, and the next day, June 15th, was my first full day of sobriety. Um, and, I, and I actually um, was sober until, uh, or I should say I, I remained sober until uh, July 7th when I went and I was uh, set up to meet a, f- a friend of mine, or through a friend of mine, uh, somebody at uh, Glen Bay Hospital, which um, was a rehab hospital at the time, and uh, I told them my story and so forth, and, uh-huh. you know, uh, they basically said, um, maybe you could go to work for us, and I said, well, before I go to work for you, I said, maybe I need to tell you a little bit more, and when I told them how I was only sober for three weeks, you know, they said, well, maybe you ought to come in for outpatient, and then you could go to work for us, <laughs> uh-huh. and, but that was uh, June fifteenth, 1992, was my first day of sobriety, and on uh, June 15th of this year, it'll be uh, 22 consecutive years, uh, so I'm pretty proud of that. Well, congratulations. And Thank you. Thank you. It, in the book, you, you kind of follow that story up, and uh, 
you say before I talk about my recovery, I want to share some of my history, and this is really the meat of the book and your your baseball career. But you talk about your anger, your trouble uh, with some of the nuns in Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, you said the these sex-starved sadists never should have been allowed around children. I thought they were a menace to society. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And that's a, that's a really powerful statement. And uh, you talk about rage in this book really a lot. And I think I kind of wanted to ask you, you talked about the nuns, but you also talked about this incident with your little childhood buddy, Richie Barone. And, right. Uh, this really sets this up pretty well, where some of this rage, some of this stuff came from. So tell us about about Richie. Yeah, Richie uh, was uh, my best friend in uh, in grammar school. We both went to uh, St. Mary's uh, Grammar School, and I was uh, having dinner over his house. And after dinner, um, he lived... Um, um, you know, across this Pamicha Pond that we have in uh, my hometown. And uh, as I was walking home, his father sent uh, Richie out to get some uh, milk. And we mm-hmm. got to a certain point in the um, uh, on the pond where uh, some people, you know, uh, took a chance and they walked across the pond. Well, my dad said that uh, there was a pretty stiff current in the pond, and um, he did not want me at any cost to ever be walking on that pond. And uh, I told Richie, I said, it's not that much further to go around, you know, this one uh, or two buildings and stuff like this, so uh, let's do it that way. And he said, oh, no, I'm going to take the shortcut. And we kind of, you know, argued as the little kids did and everything. And I said, okay, fine. I said, uh, but I'm not going with you. I'm uh, I'm going the long way. And uh, it turned out that uh, Richie uh, fell through the ice and he drowned. Um, and two days later at the wake, when I walked in, his father spotted me, jumped out of his seat, you know, ran up to me, grabbed me and started shaking me and said, how could you let your best friend, you know, walk across the ice? How could you do it and everything? And um, I'll tell you what, it it, it was it was really emotionally just um, this one of the scariest moments of my uh, young adult life and everything. And, uh, you know, for the longest time, I just felt that it was my fault. And uh, I really, you know, tried to talk him out of it, but um, yeah. he insisted on going across the ice. Yeah, we're going to take a short break here, Bill. When we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about how this haunted you for, for many years. We're talking to Bill Dennehy about his book, Rage, the Legend of Baseball Bill Dennehy. We'll be right back. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
How many times have you heard this? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You are what you eat. I've tried every diet. Diets don't work. It's time to stop this kind of madness and start thinking and feeling empowered to change your health. Tune in to The Raw Truth with Chef Sharon Fraser. Join us weekly for thought-provoking conversations with world-renowned experts in the food, medical, holistic, sports medicine, chiropractic, and naturopathic health sciences. The Raw Truth airs live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer is not something to be taken lightly. But instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the cancer coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Uh, I'm John McAndrew, of course, uh, co-hosting or guest hosting today for Mary Woods. We're talking to Bill Dennehy about his book, Rage, the Legend of Baseball, Bill Dennehy. I want to let you know it's available on Amazon.com and uh, Barnes & Noble, all the major booksellers. It's very easy to get a hold of. Uh, And this is a great book for for baseball fans and people that... uh, are in recovery or have family members in recovery because it talks about a lot of aspects of addiction and where it came from. And we, when we, uh, right before the break, Bill told us the story about his, uh, his little buddy, Richie Barone that fell through the ice and, uh, Richie's father saying, how could you let your best friend rock, walk across that ice by himself? And, uh, Bill, you said, I'm sorry, I couldn't stop him. And this this really haunted you for a long time, didn't it? It really did. Um, in fact, um, you know, once I signed a professional contract, um, I kind of made a an inner commitment that um, not only was I going to get to the big leagues, but I was going to carry uh, Richie on my back, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the big leagues with me. You know, the two of us were going to go up together and um, – you know, when I finally made it to the big leagues, um, that uh, that winter uh, I happened to run into uh, Richie's um, sister, and um, you know, she said to me, um, "Gee, I'm glad to see you and everything." You know, my father's got an ice cream shop out on uh, Saybrook Road, and um, he feels terrible about you know what happened at the funeral parlor and stuff like this. Is there any possibility you could just stop in and see him? And I didn't know what to think about that at first, but um, I went there, and uh, as soon as I walked in and he saw me, he just started broke down crying. He came over and he got, he gave me a hug, and seemed like that hug lasted for hours. And 
you know, he just said, I, you know, I just wanted to tell you, you know, I realize now it wasn't your fault. You know, it was actually my uh-huh. fault because I used to bring Richie there to take him across that ice. And, you know, I just wanted to forgive you for anything, you know, that I said to you that night or anything like that. Um, and that really took a lot of the pressure off. Um, you know, I felt yeah. that, you know, okay, you know, that's good. And then he may be the biggest hot fudge Sunday I've ever eaten in my life. So <laughs> it was all good after that. But um, I, it was really very uh, important for me at that time, you know, to kind of get that hug and for him to tell me that it wasn't my yeah. fault. Yeah. You had a great competency to win. You just had to win, and that started pretty young in your story here that uh, you talk about just losing a ball game and just being so angry for losing, you know, and somebody told you you had a bad temper. When when were you aware of that? At what age? And you were starting to pitch, right? I was uh, probably about 10 years old in Little League. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they say you had a bad temper, you were a hothead, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, they'd have all those kind of little monikers uh, stuck on you. And um, it goes back as far as uh, my family, aunts and uncles and everything, used to reward me when I won. You know, I'd get, you know, maybe a $5 bill from my uncle or um, my aunts would buy me a hot fudge sundae or, um, you know, some brownies or, you know, something sweet. Um, When I lost, I got nothing. And I remember one time, um, I believe it was my aunt, you know, I was kind of, I really played a good game, but we lost the game, and I kind of sheepishly went up to her and said, uh, you know, uh, what do I get for today? And she looked at me, and she said, get for today? You lost. And I said, yeah, but I had a great game. And she says, losers don't get anything. Only winners get something. So I said, oh, okay, so that's the way it is out there. So you got to win in order to get something. And what happened is uh, I was actually catching this one day, and – uh, a good friend of mine uh, came up in the uh, bottom of the sixth inning in the Little League and um, hit a home run to beat us in the game. And we lived about six blocks away from the Little League park. And I was so mad that we lost that I ended up kicking a can right down the middle of the street, the whole six blocks right in front of my house, um, where I held up traffic for those whole six blocks. I mean, I just was so peeved that we lost the game. And um, um, I think that that was, you know, the start of it. And I, I just I just never could stand losing. And you got... You banged heads with the nuns a little bit, and you talk about that in here. And uh, they kind of your side of the story is that they had a little bit to do with feeding this shame in you, right? Well, you know, there was the times, you know, where they'd put a dunce cap on you if you, you know, mm-hmm. were uh, getting a few answers wrong, make you stand in a corner. You know, if you were caught talking in class or passing notes or something like this, um, they'd make you come up in front of the class and they would take the uh, a ruler and uh, they would smack you on the knuckles um, with a um, with a ruler. And they'd usually smack long enough and hard enough usually to get the person to cry. Well, you know, uh, my father had kind of told me that big boys don't cry, so uh, I would hold it in. And they would sometimes turn over the ruler a little bit on its side where they had the little steel, you know, piece that ran along. Oh, 
And they would actually hit me with that where my knuckles would be cut a little bit, but I still wouldn't cry. But then they would say, listen, you know, when you go home, you better eat with your hands underneath the table because if your parents see you with swollen knuckles and stuff like this, they're going to know you were bad and the teachers have to um, discipline you and you're going to get it twice as bad. So um, there were many a nights where uh, I'm sure that uh, – you know, unless you uh, really stared at me or something, my parents never saw my both of my hands on the top of the table at the same time. Yeah. When you started to pitch baseball, you found something that you were really good at. And, you know, you can feel it when you're reading the book. This is really a joy to you. It's a, well, it's a whole lot of things. So this bumpy road to the pros, we'll get started in this segment about it, but it's really fascinating how quickly you ascended. You played high school, then Legion, right? Yes. Uh, my senior year, uh, we won the uh, state um, Class B uh, title uh, uh, in baseball. and um, In Connecticut, is that right? In Connecticut. Yeah. And then I had an incredible um, American Legion season. Uh, we got to the um, finals of the state uh, championship uh, game that I didn't pitch because I was out of innings. But uh, that summer I was 9-0. and uh, The first game I actually pitched that uh, year, year in Legion, I pitched against the Rockville American Legion team. I struck out 24 of the 27 batters. Good. Um, I pitched a 15-inning. A one-to-nothing game where I struck out 27, and in the state championship games, I won two games, um, but I pitched a total of 11 innings, which is 33 possible outs, and I struck out 27, so uh, I really peaked at the right time. And so people are starting to come to see you play, and there's interest. When did when did you get the Mets' attention, and how did that process go with you finally signing with the Mets? Actually, the uh, the Boston Red Sox, the winter of my junior year, uh, called my dad up and said they wanted to take us out to dinner, and um, that was the first time I had any kind of thought that, uh, God, there, there's some major league uh, organizations interested in me, um, and um, by, the, by the time I got through the summer, I think back then there were 30, maybe not even 30, 28 teams. It, we were talking to about 16 of them, uh-huh. you know, on, on a very, very serious note. And the reason I went with the Mets is that um, my favorite team was the Yankees, but uh, they didn't come up with enough money. Uh, mm-hmm. The Red Sox uh, came up with the most money, but, um, you know, if you've been a Yankee fan, it's tough to go with uh, with the Red Sox, although uh, yeah. being Irish, it might have been a good deal to go up to uh, Boston. But I had a workout down at Shea Stadium in, um, in Flushing, New York, and uh, after the workout, um, they brought me in to see Casey Stingle, and um, Casey, through all his gibberish and everything, um, finally said to me, he says, look, if you're any good, he said, there's no quicker to the way to the major leagues than signing with the Mets, because we don't have any pitchers, and if you're any good, you can be here in three years. And I believed him, and sure enough, I made the team uh, in three years. So you played in the minors, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a, you were you were successful everywhere you went. You had to make some adjustments in the minor zone. You talk about 
particular pitching coach kind of showing you something a little different. You threw really hard, though, didn't you? I did. Um, and, in fact, I um, they changed my motion a little bit early on to try to get my fastball um, down in the strike zone. So I was throwing more oh, three quarters and trying to get the ball to sink, trying to pitch the contact a little bit more. But um, uh, Whitey Herzog came into the organization, and he watched me a couple times on the sidelines and stuff like this, and he said, the heck with this. He said, uh, I want you, you know, you need to be a fastball pitcher. And um, he, uh, you know, really got to a point where we went through an instructional league in uh, in 66, and I had a great instructional league season, you know, being a power pitching, and then a, a really outstanding uh uh, spring training in '67, uh, I led the team in strikeouts and earned run average and everything, and that allowed me mm-hmm. to make the team. So we're going to take a break here in just a little bit, but we're going to come to the. You come up. There's Tom Seaver, um, Nolan Ryan is pitching Juan Marichal. This is really a great age of baseball and coaches and Billy Martin, all the names. But when we come back, we're going to talk to Bill about. Uh, you know, the night he hurt his arm uh, throwing a curveball against a fellow named Willie Mays. And we'll be right back in just a minute. Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter, and migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. How do you find out more about wellness? When we let our busy schedule keep us on the run without stopping, something's going to give. How is the balance in your life? Are you overhyped or feeling run down constantly? Is stress doing its part to control your life? Listen for Be Well Bites with host Jamie Relay. Our show is all about connecting you with the experts that can help you with living a nourishing and fulfilling life in small, bite-sized tips and ideas. Nourish yourself and tune in to Be Well Bites on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Uh, this is John McAndrew, and we've been talking with Bill Dennehy about his book, Rage, the Legend of Baseball, Bill Dennehy. And we've, we've gotten to where he's pitched himself a couple of years through the minors, and he's come up with the Mets. Uh, this is in 1967. And, Bill, you tell the story here. This is really a kind of a focal point of what happens in your career. Uh, Describe for us that Wednesday night in 1967, is that right, against the Giants? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're yeah, pitching was, really good. You've been pitching pretty well, good. Well, I, I had been pitching really well. Uh, my record didn't indicate it. I was 0-4, mm-hmm. but there was a um, an article that came out in one of the New York papers that I ought to sue the Mets for uh, lack of support <laughs> because we weren't scoring any runs. But anyways, I um, was getting ready to go warm up. I was pitching against the Giants and uh, Juan Marichal that night. And Yogi Berra just happened to have the uh, the warm-up ball. And uh, he came over to me, and he handed me the warm-up ball, and he said, okay, Lamb, go out there and pitch us a shutout and gain us a tie. <laughs> you know, so that wasn't, wasn't something to be optimistic about. But as I was going through the uh, doors uh, to, uh, to walk through the tunnel underneath the stadium to go out to the bullpen, a uh, teammate of mine, Don Cardwell, uh, grabbed me by the shoulder and he said, "Here, take this. This will add three feet from your to your fastball. You, you know, they won't touch you tonight." And um, I was 21 years old, naive. I didn't know what it was. Um, I had room with Don uh, on the West Coast. Um, he's a great guy, a good teammate. Um, not anybody that I wouldn't trust and stuff like this. So I just right. took it. And, you know, started walking down the tunnel, and I could feel something immediately. You know, my blood started uh, pumping a little bit more. My heart started pumping a little bit more. I seemed to get a little jittery and stuff like this. And um, I remember from the very first warm-up pitch, Boy, I was definitely throwing harder. Boy, the ball was popping there. John Sullivan was the catcher, and uh, he had a tough time just catching the ball. And, you know, you don't do that on a major level, no matter who's throwing. What but did anyways, he give you? I do you remember? There. Pardon? What did he give you exactly? He gave me a uh, Black Beauty, a 20-milligram yep. um, uh, Black Beauty, which is a, a real, real strong amphetamine. Yep. Yeah. And... Um, when I got out on the mound there, you know, I mean, I felt that the, I was unhittable. And uh, for the first three innings, I mean, I threw pitches right down the middle. They weren't on the corners. You know, they weren't, mm-hmm. you know, placed in good positions. They were right there, very hittable posi- positions. And, and the Giants were either missing them or following them off and everything. And I was going, boy, is this one. You know, this is really easy. This is easier than it was in high school. And then in the fourth inning, um, I threw uh, Willie Mays a um, a breaking ball, and um, uh, I probably because of uh, having uh, a little bit um, discoordination uh, because of the um, amphetamine or something, I got my body a little bit. Um, 
out in front of me and um uh when I threw the pitch I um I felt a real almost like a stab a uh, knife stabbing you in the back of my shoulder and uh, I struck him out but I walked off the mound and I knew I was immediately in in pain I had um, I had hurt something and uh-huh. um they, uh, they didn't let me pitch anymore that night. You know, the next day I went and got an X-ray, and the X-ray was uh, inconclusive. They didn't have MRIs back then, so they really couldn't you know, have the uh, type of um, medical discovery that they had today. And uh, they put me on the disabled list a couple of days later because I could not throw the ball 45 feet, never mind 60 feet. And... Um, from there, you know, they did the ultrasound and they did the uh, the heat and the massage and all that type of stuff, but uh, gave me a shot of cortisone um, and got me to a point where um, it was starting to come back again, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, ended up pitching a game at Shea Stadium after I was activated a game, uh, activated again, and uh, I beat the Braves on a Sunday. Two days later, I was out in uh, Los Angeles, and I was warming up in the first inning for my start on Friday night, and the call came down that uh, Wes Westrom, our manager, just wanted me to go in in the first inning, you know, get the side out, and then he would have time to, you know, put another pitcher in. And I told him, I said, I doubt whether I can get loose. And he said, well, he just needs you for the first inning, you know, and I said, I don't think I can get loose. Well, I went there, you know, and I got through the inning. I think I gave up, actually, a couple runs. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I re-injured it then. And um, I finally, um, but, you know, I'd say a couple of weeks later, um, as it continued to bother me, they um, sent me to uh, AAA baseball in Jacksonville, Florida. figured that maybe the heat and the sun down here might yeah. you know, be helpful. That's the kind of medicine they used back then. And I ended up taking a, uh, and this is where part of my rage uh, started. Um, They ended up giving me a procedure where they shot dye into my arm. And you were awake, you were um, in the operating room, you saw the monitor, and as this dye was shot into your arm, it was in a straight line. If it bubbled, uh, then you know you had a tear, and I could see right in front of me that it bubbled. So the doctor, you know, that was doing it said, "Ah, you got a tear in there," you know. So they um, they disabled me for the rest of the season and um, sent me home to rest. I came back up in uh, December. I mean, in September, they got to gave me another shot of cortisone. Um, and I told them, I said, it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. And uh, the thing that that really, you know, started this anger with me was the fact that they never confirmed the tear in my shoulder. And I don't know whether I got traded in that famous trade where I got to be the first player in Major League history traded for a manager when I got traded for Gil Hodges in in, uh, November. But uh, even when I got to Washington, they didn't seem to know about the tear And, of course, the doctor for the Washington Senators was also the doctor for the Washington Redskins. So that's where the the real um, start of taking all the quarter zones started. How many quarter zone shots did you get? Uh, It's like 60-plus, right? I had 57 in uh, 26 months. Yeah. Goodness, yeah. 
and that's yeah, and I, and I totally unheard time, of now. Oh, yeah. I mean, every doctor that I talk to now, when I tell them that, they say, oh, my God, who ever gave you that? And I said, it was the, the team doctor. I remember one time I was in, a, in the trainer's room in Washington. The team was on the road, but I flew into um, – I had some military I had to take care of, a weekend military thing, and I was getting a shot. And there was a disturbance in the uh, locker room, and the next thing I know, here comes uh, this entourage into the training room, and leading the entourage was Vince uh, Lombardi. He had just become uh, the head coach of the Washington Redskins, and he walked in, and he said, what do we have here? You know, he had that big, bellowing voice. Oh, yeah. And, of course, uh, the doctor who he knew, because he was the Redskins doctor, said, well, he says, uh, we're giving him a couple of shots of cortisone to see if we can get him back on the field. And I'll never forget this. Uh, Lombardi walked over to me. He patted me on the head and said, good boy, good boy. Oh, like, I was, like I was some kind of dog, you know. So your your arm is getting worse. Uh, you eventually end up with the Tigers. Is that right, playing, playing for... Yes. Uh, for Billy Martin, yeah. basically to come in and hit guys, right? Sort of a well, one pitch and out. Yeah, I was. <coughs> excuse me, the third, <coughs> the third uh, pitcher that was assigned that duty, and uh, the first two didn't come close to hitting the batters, and uh, one was traded the next day, and the other one was sent to the minor leagues. So. Um, <laughs> When it got to me, I decided that it was a lot better being a uh, an assassin in Detroit than a starting pitcher in Toledo. So um, <laughs> I ended up. I was actually when he put me in the game the first time. I was supposed to. It was against Cleveland, and I was supposed to hit Chris Chambliss. He was the second hitter, and I actually by mistake hit um, uh, their uh, their catcher. I can't think of his name right now, but. Um, uh, he charged the mound, and uh, we got into a fight. And then after that, uh, I think there was three other times that, um, you know, Billy put me in the game. And, um, you know, lo and behold, one time the uh, Bill Freehan, our catcher, said, there's no use going over any signs. You're only going to be in here for one pitch. Yeah. You know, well, I, so <laughs> I'd hit somebody, we get in a fight, and I'd get tossed out of the game, you know. Uh, that was my job. So the rage, the addiction, um, I'm sure you talk about your drinking. Everything is starting to unravel. Your family, the people close to you, uh, you know your arm isn't what it used to be. Uh, This is a tough time in your life, isn't it? It really was. Um, The pain, you know, I can can only describe it as a uh, consistent toothache. You know, from the time I uh, got up until um, almost the time I went to bed, you know, there was that, you know, just throbbing kind of toothache. Of course, you know, I had uh, pain pills I got from the ball club and uh, sleeping pills to help me sleep. And, of course, there was always the liquor. But um, once I got out of baseball, you know, I couldn't get those uh, painkillers and uh anymore. So, um, you know, I started looking for something else that would do it and, you know, went into the um, the other drug culture and found marijuana. And I found that uh, if I had enough marijuana, that would kill the pain. And, um, you know, I was using that for quite some time. And, and then, mm-hmm. of course, from there, it just leads on to other drugs. Yeah. We've been talking with Bill Dennehy about his book, Rage, the Legend of Baseball, Bill Dennehy. There's great 
there's just tons of stories about Billy Martin and other folks that that people recognize in his book, and it's available at all the major bookstores and Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble. When we come back, Bill, we'll start to talk about your road to recovery and and the loss of your eyesight and kind of what you're doing today. Uh, and we'll be right back with Bill. Murmuration, critical transitions and transformation with host Stacy Starling will explore the ever-changing landscape of healthcare and human services. This program will spotlight guests and topics of interest regarding the navigation of healthcare and human services, as well as the promotion of health, well-being, and transformation. Join us every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is John McAndrew. We've been talking with Bill Dennehy about his book, Rage, The Legend of Baseball, Bill Dennehy. And Bill, the, uh, we talked in the last segment about the pitch to Willie Mays, and uh, you forgot to tell us that you threw at his head earlier in the ball game. Uh, well, I, I was gonna—I was trying to stay on a positive note. Yeah. you know, I wanted people to like me. <laughs> That's right. He threw a Willie Mays, and now you're—you're you're the antagonist. Um, and your arm has, has gotten bad, and the—and the addiction. And we want to take this last uh, few minutes to just talk about your recovery and some of the things that you're involved in. And you need to tell the folks of. Uh, the progression of those shots and what it did to you physically and and to your eyesight. Well, you know, it um when I got sober in um uh June 15th of 92, um 
you know, I went to um, outpatient for 13 weeks. And um, after that, I went to work for Glen Bay Hospital in community relations. And um, they helped me form an organization called NARPA. It was the National Association of Recovering Professional Athletes. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be a great way for us to give back uh, to society by teaching uh, young people uh, and everyone, in fact, uh, all about, you know, and um, the fact that uh, addiction is a disease and it's not a bad habit, it's not you know, lack of willpower and so forth and so on. What mm-hmm. I didn't know is that the professional sports didn't want any part of it. They didn't want anything to do with the fact of the word recovering. Uh, they came back and suggested if we use the word responsible, that was okay. But um, we didn't want to use that because we were in recovery. We wanted to show people that it works. We wanted to show people that you could get better and you could have a great life and you could uh, um, make amends and, um, mm-hmm. what do you call it, do all the things that um, that you wanted to the way your life set out to do. And um, I contacted a lot of people all over the country. Uh, one of the people I contacted was uh, Senator Strom Thurmond, and he, uh, he had put together a bill after his daughter was um, – what do you call it, killed uh, by a drunk driver. And uh, one of the things that uh, he wanted to do was just have a disclaimer put on beer bottles, just like Syracuse, uh, like cigarettes, uh, saying that uh, alcohol um, does cause alcoholism. Um, or at least contributes, I think as the word was, contributes to alcoholism. And, um, of course, he was turned down um, in the Senate and everything. And what happened is a lot of these uh, major beer and uh, liquor companies uh, basically came on and said uh, to the professional leagues, if that bill passes, you know, your support of um, sponsorship for any of your big games and stuff like this are going to be cut. And then the only way for people to watch your games on TV it will be through pay TV. Um, I thought that was, um, you know, um, something that um, baseball should have stood up for, not only baseball, but football and basketball, et cetera, yep. and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, they know where the Golden Goose was. And, I mean, and um, even when I worked in um, um, the radio and TV business and stuff like this, if you had a sports story or a sports program and stuff like this, you know, the first persons you ran to were the were the liquor companies. They were the ones that you thought yep. you could get the uh, quickest reply from. Um, so, you know, that didn't turn out. We just didn't get the kind of support we wanted, although we did have 131 former professional athletes, everything from professional boxers, tennis players, sure. uh, hockey players, basketball players, football players, baseball players, who were willing to go out. Um, we were actually going to form a, um, so they just don't go out and tell their story, but we were going to put together a program where they would be able to teach you know, about the different uh, things we're talking about in recovery and have Mm -hmm. people understand more about addictions and alcoholism, and then they could tell their personal story at the end of it. But uh, we never could get the funding, and uh, the professional leagues just turned their back on us. Well, I hope that maybe that's something you still have interest in, and, you know, maybe there's more... uh some more passion for that nowadays. Bill, when you woke up, we just have a couple minutes, and, you know, and your your sight is gone, and I believe it was first one eye and then the second eye. 
uh, it's just amazing, you know, what you did and how you handled that. Well, I, I woke up in January of 2005. My right eye was completely blind. I had a completely detached retina. Had that operated on, but I lost my sight there. And in my left eye, I've had uh, three retina holes, a macular hole, and a stent put in there. Um, and I've had a total of 13 operations between the two eyes. Um, but, you know, I just stayed with the program of uh, recovery where, you know, a drink or a drug isn't going to make the situation any better. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what's laid out in front of me, so I just have to follow my doctor doctor's uh, orders and stuff like this, go to as many support groups as I possibly can, and uh, not drink and, or drug on a daily basis, and things will work out. And even though I've, I've lost, you know, my sight pretty much, I've got a great guide dog, um, things are working out pretty well. And as far as future, I guess you're not going to try to pitch in the majors again. Is that right, or is there still a chance? <laughs> well, unless unless they come up with a blind league and they play at night, you know, <laughs> that I'd be really tough. <laughs> we have we have been talking to Bill Dennehy, and uh, his book is Rage: The Legend of Baseball. Bill Dennehy, and he wrote it with Peter Gallenbach, who's written some pretty fantastic books, and we encourage encourage everybody to get on amazon.com or go to Barnes and Noble all the major booksellers there's really great stories in here uh baseball fans of you know Yogi and and Billy Martin and a lot of personal stories and Bill you are a legend and uh we at one hour at a time just want to thank you for sharing sharing your life with us and uh how could people get a hold of you if you uh you know, they wanted to ask you to come to speak. Uh, well, you know, we've got the website, uh, you know, for the book, um, uh, Rage, um, The Legend of um, Bill Dennehy. Um, there's information there on how to contact me, and that'd probably be the easiest thing. Very good. Well, thank you again, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Okay, thank you, John. Bye for now. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.